Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Driving Force podcast. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned endurance athlete. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing world-class competitors in the sports and business worlds and have them share their perspectives on what it takes to remain driven with all that life throws at you. If you're a fan of the UFC, you may be familiar with today's guest. Before he started MMA, he worked as a chef at an upscale steakhouse in Delray Beach, Florida. Today, he's a fighter in the UFC's featherweight division, and after his last win, now holds the record for the most UFC victories ever at Boston's TD Garden. He's also a great example of someone who's living their dreams after being near rock bottom. Ladies and gentlemen, my interview with my cousin and UFC fighter, Charles Rosa. Charles, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, what's up, cousin? How you doing? Doing good. How is uh how's Lucas settling in down in Florida? Uh great, man. Great. He just got here a week ago, so he's been training three or four times a day since he got here. So I'm sure he's tired, but you know, it's the life of a fighter, so he's getting used to it. Yeah, yeah. Beating him up good? Yeah, no, nah, he's he, he's working hard, you know, so he's he, he's there all he's probably there more than I am at this point just because he got some catching up to do, but um it's good, you know. Yeah. yeah, for those of you listening, Lucas is uh Charles's brother, uh and my cousin he just decided to train full time MMA down in Florida. Um we'll see where it goes for him, but uh sounds like he's training hard, so we'll see. All right. So, um do you have an idea, do you have an idea on when you'll be fighting next? Um yeah, I just got off the phone with my manager earlier, so um it's looking like it's going to be April that I'll be fighting, so um you know, working on an opponent right now. We're talking to uh we're talking about fighting uh, Bryce Mitchell. Um, we just got him to accept the fight, but we're just waiting on the UFC to sign the contract. So uh, it's pretty close to being finalized. But um, for those that don't know, Bryce Mitchell's a kid from Arkansas. I think he's 3-0 in the UFC. He's undefeated. Um, you know, he got a lot of hype behind him. He just won with the Twisters last fight. So he's coming off a first-round submission. I'm coming off a first-round submission. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's a good fight for me at the, at the right time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, was it was it a fight that you kind of had your eye on, or um, I guess how did that sort of come about? Yeah, no, it's a it's definitely a fight I liked. I watched him fight. I thought I just thought it'd be a good fight for me. I think uh, you know he's a tough kid. He's an exciting fighter. Um, you know, I'm a tough kid. I'm an exciting fighter. So I think it'd be a good fight for the fans. And um, you know, I think you know his biggest strength is my biggest strength, and I think I'm better at it. So I think. You know, mm-hmm. he's a jiu-jitsu guy, and that's, you know, where I get most of my wins by is jiu-jitsu. So, um, I think, I just I just like the matchup a lot. And, you know, he's a, he, he's like a tough kid from Arkansas, so he's like a country boy. And, you know, I grew up in, you know, in Peabody in Boston, so like more of a city style. So, I think it'd be like a country country boy or a city boy, you know. And uh, I think it'd be, a, it'd be a tough, it'd be a fun scrap for the fans. Yeah, that's awesome. Do they know, do you have an idea like where, where it'll be? No, nah, we're working on it. They're working on a couple of venues right now. So, um, they ha- like I said, we haven't finalized it. It's just something that the managers are working on. So that's you know, I let them do their job and I stay in the gym. So I'm just you know, I just wait on the contract and to get it, and then I'll be be ready to go. Awesome. So, uh, was being a professional fighter something you thought about growing up, or did that idea come later in life? Um. Well, I always knew when I was a little kid that you know I wanted to be. A professional athlete at something you know I didn't more my focus I think was hockey you know I wanted to be a hockey player I remember in high school when they asked me what I wanted to do after hockey after after high school like to go to college like what do you want to do I told them I wanted to play hockey 
and they were like, oh, you can't do that. And I was like, oh, why? And they're like, well, it's not the only <laughs> thing you can do. We're not saying you can't play hockey. We're just saying, like, for a career, like, what do you want to do? The guidance counselor or whoever was helping me get into college. So I told them that's what I wanted to do. And then they said, well, what else do you like to do? So I said, and I kind of said it sarcastically, but I said, I like to eat. And I like eating food and like stuff like that. And so <laughs> – She's like, well, there's a school, Johnson & Wales. It's a culinary school, and uh, you could be a chef. You could learn to be a cook and a chef there, and they also have a hockey team. So it seemed like the best of both worlds, so that's kind of what I ended up doing. I ended up going to Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island, and I graduated with a degree in culinary arts and um, a candidate for a bachelor's degree in nutrition. So um, that's, you know, I think it actually ended up working out really well. And then after that, that's when I found MMA, so. Awesome. Was uh was hockey your main sport growing up? Yeah, I played hockey ever since I could walk. I pretty much learned how to skate, so um, that's that was always my passion. What I love to do, I love watching the NHL. But the one thing that always kind of got me was like my favorite part about hockey was was the fighting. You know, so like <laughs> my the reason I loved hockey was because because I, I love the hockey fights, and so I was a better fighter than I was a hockey player for sure. So um, you know, I think that's what led me into MMA. Was um so you graduate Johnson to Wales? Do you, where was the first place or restaurant that you worked at? Uh, I worked at um well I worked at a couple of restaurants. I worked at the Galley Hatch up in New Hampshire. I think you're familiar with that, like up there in my beach house. I worked oh yeah there for a little bit. So that was a, a decent restaurant. It's a good spot, like good seafood and stuff. Um and then after that, like I kind of was like a little bit lost. What I want to do? I was like, what what do I want to do after kind of college? I was working a little bit, like kind of just wasn't like really happy so I made a move to uh South Florida and uh I moved down here and that's where I found like my first real real steady job but uh cut 432 it's like a five-star steakhouse probably like the nicest restaurant I've ever seen in my life and I went in there and I was like I want to work here so I did I showed my degree and it definitely helped me get the job and um that's when I started working I started working there we worked there for eight eight nine years uh I still go on once in a while just to like show my face and to help out sometimes at cut 432 it's a steakhouse in delray beach florida and that's where i live now in boca raton so and you kept you kept working as a chef for a little bit while you trained right yeah pretty much the whole time through i mean only until the last year i mean even until i was a ufc fighter i was still working and um you know it started off as me working full-time at the restaurant you know 40 50 hours a week and you know just fighting whenever i could you know, on the weekends, I'd ask the chef, hey, can I get Saturday night off to fight? Or I'll come back after the fight's over. He would always laugh and be like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, hey, can I just leave and come back? I got a fight. And he's like, and luckily for me, he was like a martial artist also. So I think that helped me a lot being able to kind of, you know, he, he supported me. His name's Tony Pizzo. He's the chef at Cup 432. And he always kind of supported my dream. So in the beginning, like I said, I was just working. I was just working a really lot to, uh, pay my bills and to make money and you know fighting was what I did in my free time so like anytime I wasn't working I was training and it got to the point where I started getting bigger bigger fights I became the number one amateur fighter in the country just kept fighting and kept winning I think I won 20 amateur fights throughout the United States you know and uh and you know I was a, I was a hot prospect to become a pro so they asked me what do you, you want to come pro and I'm like well so about that same time that I turned professional, so I decided to turn professional as an MMA fighter, my chef actually asked me, he's like, hey, Charles, you know, we're thinking like making making you like the sous chef of the restaurant, like we'll give you a salary, we'll give you a raise. 
and it was just like really strange timing because that was like the same time I was going to go pro and I was like honestly I wanted to talk to you to ask you if you know I can maybe work less like maybe just work part-time because I'm trying to you know chase my dream like I think this is something I want to do I want to pursue and I know there's a short window for it and uh you know he was totally cool with that and uh it kind of was what had happened so I went from working full-time to working part-time and training full-time and working part-time and uh that's how you know I started as a pro, but I was still working part time. I was still work two, three, four days a week sometimes because I still have bills to pay. For those that are listening that don't know, you don't get paid anything. Is you get paid maybe five hundred, a thousand dollars to fight as a professional fighter for your first, you know, until you make it, until you get a contract from the UFC or a big organization like Bellator or something like. You don't get paid, you know. People who I think, oh, you're a professional athlete, he's getting paid, but no, I never made more than a couple thousand dollars for a fight. Um, so it was very difficult to, you know, to do really, to, to, to chase that dream because you didn't have the funds to do it, you know? Yeah. What's the, I guess the big difference between fighting amateur and fighting professionally? Is it like the pay? Is it? It is really, that's the thing that people get confused. There's no difference. I mean, there's, I had my amateur fights. Some of my amateur fights were harder than my professional, my professional fights. So like people don't realize that, you know, the one thing that's very unique about fighting is a fight's a fight. Like you can't, you know, I think in other sports, like if you were to go play in the NFL or if you were to just go play in a pickup football game, there's going to be a big difference, you know, the size of the guys, you know, like the athleticism. I mean, the only real difference is when I was fighting amateur, I mean, I was, I was much less skilled. I didn't have the skills I had, but I was also fighting guys less skilled. So it wasn't like I have the skills I have now. And I'm fighting guys with no skills. I was, you know, evenly matched in the amateur fights. And now, as now that I'm to the UFC, I mean, I'm fighting against the highest guys, level guys in the world. But I also have the skills of the highest level guy in the world. So, you know, like I said, like a fight's a fight. So it's actually not much of a difference. I mean, sometimes yeah. they protect you a little more in the amateurs. You wear maybe sometimes shin guards, or occasionally they'll have you wear headgear in like kickboxing matches or something like that. But um, and the rounds are sometimes a little bit shorter. They're three minutes instead of five minutes. So or they don't allow elbows or knees to the face. So, you know, there's definitely things that make it a little bit less intense. But like I said, there's there's no quite feel, like, like feeling of walking into a cage and getting locked in there. And that's just you and one other guy looking at each other from across the cage. And, you know, one of you's coming out with a W. So you got you to gotta earn it in there no matter what the level is or who you're going against. Yeah. What was the experience like of your first ever MMA fight? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was actually a great experience. We drove to uh, Cookville, Tennessee. It was my first fight ever. Um, I remember we, we drove up there with the whole, like, we had, like, an MMA team, Boca MMA. Charles McCarthy was my coach. He was a retired UFC fighter at the time. And, um, you know, I was probably training. They made me wait a year before I took my first MMA fight. I asked them every single day to fight, but they wouldn't let me. I thought, you know, just being a tough kid from, you know, the streets in, you know, in Boston or New England that I could – you know, I could fight with anyone, but, you know, I, I, I had to learn the skills first, and my coach wanted to make sure that even if he thought I could win a fight, he didn't want me to just win on toughness and grit. He wanted me to win because I had the skills to win, you know, so yeah. that was something I'm grateful for that he built me the right way and had me wait a year before I took my first fight, but my first fight was in Cookville, Tennessee. It was in a rodeo, I remember. It was <laughs> uh, in, in the middle of a rodeo, so I remember it started it was in the middle and it was and it was really muddy because it started raining it like early in the day it was raining so my first fight was actually in the rain and i remember walking out to my fight like barefoot because you had to be barefoot like when you walked out 
and I was walking through mud to get to like my first fight and it felt like such like a gladiator type experience. Like I'll never forget it. Like I had mud all over my feet, get in the cage and like I'm just looking across and there's other guys already in there and it's raining and I'm like, man, this is like, I want to, <laughs> this is my first experience ever, you know? So, I mean, I went to war with this kid. Like this kid was tough as, tough as nails, I remember. And uh, I went, you know, I ended up submitting him with a triangle in the second round and uh like I said, I think it was good that I had all those skills because, like, a triangle is, like, a move that I didn't know before I started training. So um, the kid was probably just as tough as me. We're going back and forth, you know, at it. But I was able to lock in a triangle and get the submission win. And uh, I remember, like, I was so sick after. Like, the adrenaline dump was it. I was, like, throwing up after for, like, an hour. I thought I was going to die. I didn't know what was wrong with me. But it's just because the adrenaline is so tough. And uh, I'll never forget, like, when they interviewed me for the first time in the cage after, like, oh, Charles – that was an amazing win. Like, what does it feel like, you know, to fight in the rain? And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't really know what it's like not to fight in the cage in the rain because it's <laughs> my first fight. So it was a pretty funny experience, and uh, it was it was a, it was a tough one. But you know that I've seen that many times, like people's first fight experience, and I've had friends that have just wanted to do it, and they'll never do it again because that feeling right after, like you literally, the adrenaline dump is so strong, and like you feel so sick after that sometimes it breaks people but you know i i mean i loved it and i wanted more and i kept doing it and i kept winning and uh you know i was luckily for me i'm able to make a, a living out of it now doing what i love and no more rodeos yeah no more rodeos i don't know who knows you never know but <laughs> as of right now man that's that's you know that's that's how it started but that's uh i'll never forget that i mean that's how it starts for most fighters you're fighting in gymnasiums and you're fighting in little high school gymnasiums and uh you know rodeos and these things and you know i used to have to the crazy thing is is like the reason i love what i do is because i used to have to pay pay to do this i used to have to pay for my blood work because you have to get blood work so that would cost me a 100 bucks but when you have no money a 100 bucks is a lot you used to, have to pay for the gas to get to the venue you know pay for the rent a car like it would cost me three or four hundred dollars to fight every time i fought as an amateur so i wasn't making any money from it i was paying to do it it was like a hobby so it's pretty cool, and then I would have to pay the gym fee, you know, and uh, it's pretty cool to um, be able to get, now I'm able to get paid to do something that I used to pay to do, you know, so, like, that's really what I think living the dream is for me, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, you moved down to Florida, and then how did you come across American Top Team? Um, well, at this point, like, when I moved down to Florida, I was, I was like, you know, I was in, like, uh, some, like, therapy groups and stuff like that, like, helping uh, there's like, I had like a therapist that was helping me out just kind of get like my mind right and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, she gave me like a directive. She's like, Hey Charles, you know, cause I was telling her, I said, listen, like, I don't just want to work like a normal job every day and like go to this restaurant and just work nine to five, come home and just be like a normal person. Like, I don't, this isn't the life I want to live. Like, this isn't what I want to do. And I was struggling a little bit and I, I, she's like, well, what do you think's missing? I'm like, well, I played hockey my whole life. I played like competitive sports. So like, why don't we try that? So what happened is, is uh, I first, like I was like, well, maybe I'll play some pickup hockey, you know? So first I started playing like pickup hockey again. Obviously it wasn't like the NHL or nothing. It was just like men's leagues. And I remember like I would go and I was so competitive. Like I would score like six goals in the game and they'd be like, hey, Charles, like this is just like a men's league. We're not like trying to, you know, score like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not yeah, trying yeah. to win every game. It's just for fun. I'm like, oh, well, I guess this isn't for me then, you know? It's not it's not my style. Like, I just, I, I, I'm competitive. I want to win. So I came back to her and I was like, yeah, the hockey is fun, but it's, like, really not enough. Like, it's not what I wanted, you know? They just go there, they drink beers, and they, like, play hockey, and it's not really serious at all. 
and she's like, well, what else do you think, um, what else do you think would be good, you know, and I was like, well, I've always wanted to try boxing, you know, and she's like, oh, why don't you try that, go to a class, so I basically at the time just had a bicycle, you know, I didn't have a car yet or anything, um, and I remember I used to ride my bike to, when I would ride my bike to work, I'd ride past this little gym, I remember it was called American Top Team, and I would ride past it, and it was, um, and so what I did is, I thought I just remember used to like going up to the window and seeing people like sparring. I'm like, man, you know what? I'm gonna go try that out. So, she told me to maybe go try a class. I thought it was a boxing gym, but it happened to be an MMA gym, and I guess I kind of stumbled across one of the best gyms there is. You know, American Top Team. Uh, Charles McCarthy was there, UFC fighter at the time. Cole Miller was in there teaching classes, and uh, I didn't know anything about it, but I went in there with like you know an open mind. I wanted to learn it, and. My first day in the class, basically, you know, I thought, I mean, I thought I could, honestly, I thought I could beat up anybody in the whole place. Like, I didn't think, like, any of the guys, like, could beat me up. I just thought, like, oh, it'd be cool to still do it. And, like, they're they're sparring each other and stuff. So, that's what actually happened. My first day, I went in. He's like, hey, come back this tonight. We got a class at 730. Luckily, I didn't have work that day. I came in, didn't even have a mouthpiece, didn't have gloves or nothing. They gave me some gloves to borrow. I did the boxing class. And at the end... The last 15 minutes they did sparring and like I wasn't you know I mean I was like oh so like everyone did sparring like oh Charles uh, you're just gonna sit out today and not spar because it's your first day and I was like oh no no like I came here to spar like this is the best this is what I came here for like I didn't come here to do jab and slip and roll drills you know and uh, <laughs> so he, you know the guy at the time I was talking to was Cole Miller who was a UFC fighter at the time I had no idea who he was I didn't follow it enough to know who Cole Miller was and uh um so I did. So he said I couldn't spar, and I kind of like gave him a little bit of an attitude. I was like, "Well, what, was like, well, what?" A, he's like, "Well, you don't have a partner anyway, so like, it's uneven. It's an uneven number of people. So just like sit and watch." And I was like, well, "What about you? Like, you're just." He's like, "Oh, you want to spar with me?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "All right." So like, I just basically sparred the freaking UFC fighter that I didn't know who was a UFC fighter for like five rounds, and we just like went to war. And, uh, you know, he probably, it was, it was, it was pretty, he probably got the better of me, I'm sure. I mean, I thought I won, but like at the end of it, I was like, man, that kid was good, man. I'm like, I can't believe how hard he could jab. Like, I probably busted lip and stuff. And then, uh, Charles McCarthy, who was the owner of the gym at the time, he came after and was like, you know, hey, Charles, where did you train before this and stuff? Like, after just to try to get me to sign up and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I didn't really train anywhere. He's like, you've never trained before? I was like, no. He's like, oh, man, you're really good. Like, he's like, you know who the kid you were sparring with was, right? And I'm like, no. He's like, oh, that's Cole Miller. He's a top 10 fighter in the UFC right now. So, like, that second, like, a light bulb went off. Like, I knew right away that if that kid, Cole Miller, who was just, like, a skinny, tall kid, could fight in the UFC, that's something that I could do. So, like, the light bulb went off that day. I went home. I looked who Cole Miller was, watched a bunch of his fights, looked at Charles McCarthy, who is my, still my coach now, looked at his fights and saw what they did. And I'm like, wow, man, this is like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This, I want to be a fighter. So ever since that day happened, I went to the gym every single day. I paid the monthly fee every every month, $150 to train there, you know, until I turned professional. So it was probably three years of training and, and paying. And uh, then, uh, you know, I took a bunch of fights and then I finally, you know, made it, uh, made my pro debut. That's a great story, man. And the uh, American Top Team is now probably arguably the, you know, the best, most prestigious fight team in the world, right? Yep. Yeah, I just won gym of the year two years in a row. So, um, yep. And you mentioned um, at the beginning uh, when you were talking there that um, you were talking to a therapist and stuff. 
uh, you could have gone down a pretty dark road had you not discovered fighting, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt, man. I mean, I, um, you know, when when I was uh, 16 and then the following year when I was 17, um, I lost my two older brothers, Dominic and Vincent, you know, um, to drug overdoses. So, like, for me, that was really tough. Like, I had to, you know, figure ways to cope with it and stuff like that. So, it kind of made me mentally slip into a, to a pretty dark place. So, I had to find different ways to deal with it. And, um, you know, luckily for me, I was able to get, like, into, you know, therapy groups and things to help me with to like cope with my feelings and my anger. Cause I, there's a lot, you know, at the 16 and 17 years old age, like, you know, to, to have to lose like your two older brothers, the kids who taught me everything, all my life lessons was definitely difficult. So I had a lot of anger and a lot of things that I needed to vent out. So luckily for me, I was able to move to Florida and get that and get, you know, help and stuff like that, that I needed to, to, um, to do it. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that happened actually helped me a lot. I think it helped me tremendously being able to get the help I did because it helped me keep an open mind so that helped me going into martial arts because I was a pretty closed-minded person like if someone told me to do something like my first instinct was to do the opposite so being able to listen to people take advice from people keep an open mind was something that really helped me become a better martial artist so sometimes I think things happen for a reason like obviously I would do anything to have my brothers back and stuff like that but you know, for me, all, when all this bad stuff happens now, I just use it as like more fuel to the fire for me and it just motivates me more. Yeah. And I was going to ask like, how much does the memory of your brothers inspire you to just keep on, keep on going and, you know, chasing that, chasing that world title? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a thing that's gotten me through so many fights and gotten me through so many victories and what makes me who I am, you know, because a lot of these guys I'm fighting are kids that have literally been raised on fighting. When I was playing hockey, they were doing, you know, Taekwondo and they were doing, you know, karate and they were doing boxing or they were wrestling or so like I'm behind, you know, almost 20 years on this. Like I didn't start training until I was 23, 24 years old. So the only training I had was, you know, you know, just, you know, fighting with my older brothers or, you know, having, having my uncle Tommy chase me around or teaching me how to box a little bit, you know, as a kid. So, um, you know, my uncle Tommy, who, who's actually our uncle Tommy, Tom Rosa was a was a also a boxer. Has over 250 fights. One of the baddest, you know, baddest guys I know, and someone that I look up to a lot, and uh, a huge role model for me. And I always looked up to him as a kid because he would always babysit me a lot and stuff like that. And he would always like you know teach me to talk about boxing. Sometimes he'd show up with a black eye. I was like, what happened? He's like, oh, I had a boxing match, and he would you know. Um, so I always knew he was a boxer, and I always that was like my favorite thing about him. And uh, you know, he definitely made me tough growing up as a kid and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of also one of the reasons, you know, that definitely pushed me to be a fighter. And, um, you know, he's one of the closest people I, I have that helps me a lot and has helped me through a lot of the issues I have now, too. So, yeah, big shout out to Uncle Tommy. Yeah, Tom <laughs> the Bomb Rosa. <laughs> another uh, another uncle of mine um, uh, and your dad, Uncle Chucky. Um, it would be yeah. remiss of me not to mentioned all of the you know the great charity work that he does to help fight uh substance yep. abuse do you want to kind of quickly mention that that charity and some of the work that he does yeah for sure so chucky's fight um is a charity that's dedicated uh, dedicated to help knock out substance abuse and it's a charity my dad started after i lost my two older brothers dominic and vincent um they put their ashes in the ocean so like every day to for him to like cope with that his way of dealing with you know losing his two sons is probably the hardest thing anyone could go through was to jump in the ocean and to kind of like to be with them, you know, visit them or whatever. And, um, 
you know, he just did it on his own, but he was doing it in the winter time. You know, he lives up in New Hampshire in Seabrook Beach, New Hampshire, and the water's freeze. Obviously, it's snowing some, you know, snowing in the winter time, and he's going to jump in. So once that started happening, like he would start doing that, um, people started saying like, well, what is maybe you could do something with this? Like nobody else does this. It's like something special. Like what? What do you think? And you know, um, he, at that time, he was also starting to help people get into treatment centers and just like trying to trying to give back because of what happened to his kids. He didn't want it to happen to anybody else. So. He started a charity and uh, with my mom and, you know, something I help out with and my little brothers help out, my sister Teresa helps with, called Chucky's Fight. And it's a charity, yeah, like I said, it's dedicated to help knock out substance abuse. So my dad goes around to different schools educating kids on teen substance abuse. People will come in, like CEOs of big companies or even the governor has jumped in, um, you know, um, candidates that are running for president, like big, you know, um, political people, whatever, whoever jumps in, athletes jump in, to or people, owners of businesses will jump in and raise money for Chucky's fight. So sometimes, you know, some people will send like, you know, 30 to 40 people in and everybody will donate some money and they use the money to help, you know, get kids in the treatment centers that don't have the money to do so or the funds. And, you know, it all comes full circle. Like, you know, whatever it gives, they usually give back and they've helped, you know, thousands of people get in the treatment centers and, you know, he has tons of testimonials from kids that he's helped and has saved a lot of lives. So um, I think even if he's only, even if he's saved even with just one life, which I'm sure he saved more than that, then I think uh, it's all worth it, you know, because the life is so valuable. Yeah, for sure. And didn't he, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, get honored at a Celtics game for like yeah. Hero yeah, Among Us? Citizen. Yes, yeah, Hero Among Us, that's what it was. Yeah, he got Hero Among Us. Uh, they had LeBron James and Kyrie Irving hand him a, um, citizen of the year award or hero among us award at the playoff Celtics game it was pretty amazing like 20,000 people in a sold out TD Garden playoffs LeBron James versus you know Celtics um actually it wasn't Kyrie it was uh Thomas what's his name uh the other dude but yeah it was it was good but uh yeah it was pretty amazing I have to sit courtside and see that so that was definitely a special award he won but it's just you know basically it's just one of the many you know things that has given that they've you know just him being recognized for what he's done it's pretty special so um definitely yeah definitely has helped a lot of people do you do you ever go into the ocean with them on the on winter yeah. days <laughs> yeah I do, yeah i do it's like I, I go i pretty much every time i go home i end up jumping in at least once and uh it's been years now of doing it so i'm kind of used to it i you know figure out a good system of how to get in the water and out and into the shower in time that I don't freeze, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's something I do, you know. And uh, you know, I just uh, think it's also one of the things that just makes me tough too. You know, it's like uh, it's just something about doing it. You just feel like a certain, you know, a certain toughness of having to go jump in that cold water. Like that's definitely going to be the hardest thing that you do all day. And once you do the hardest thing of the day, the rest of the day is easy, and it's much easier to go. So I think that's part of the reason my dad does it, but. And also, when I do it, I always have a good day after that. Like, it's freezing and it's cold in your body. But, like, after that, you're like, well, that's the rest of the day is easy now, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to uh, your MMA career, um, you know, you win a bunch of fights in amateurs, do really, really well. And then you get into the UFC, you know, the most widely known, prestigious MMA promotion in the world. And you get a short notice call to fight. I think he was a ranked opponent at the time, Dennis Seaver. Yeah, he walk was number me, nine in the world. Yeah, yeah. Walk me through how that like whole experience was like. Yeah, I mean, it was something I was ready for. Like, I'm not gonna say 
you know, it was short notice, but I knew at any time I could get a call to the UFC. At the time when I got the phone call, I was 9-0 as a professional with all first-round finishes, you know, so I was one of the hottest prospects in the, in the country or hottest prospects in the world, you know, so um, when you're in that position, um, you know, you know that you could get a call anytime, you know, so I was aware that I could get a call. Um, as far as, like, the weight thing, you know, you don't really know with your weight because, you know, you have to do a weight cut and stuff like that, but that was probably the only real issue. But as far as being ready for the fight, I was I was praying for that fight every day for the last three years, you know, like hoping I was going to get that call to get in the UFC because that was my ultimate dream, you know, after I realized what the UFC was and how it was the pinnacle of, of, of combat sports. So, um, yeah, basically I thought I was going to get the call a lot sooner when I was 5-0, and 6-0, and 7-0 as a professional. Like I was waiting for that call every time and it never came. So finally, I'm nine and zero, and you know I'm just I remember being at my house, and the phone rings at like nine o'clock at night, and you know I was actually, actually, I wasn't at my house. I was on the way to the airport to go to to Holland to Amsterdam to train some Dutch kickboxing, and I'm um, at the airport, and I get a call saying, hey, you know, um, basically that you know you get you want to fight you want to fight like in five days well actually no like my my manager already like i told him if he ever gets the call and he can't contact me because i was actually on the plane he goes i said take the fight from me you know what i mean so like i was on the plane traveling to amsterdam and that's when they called me but i didn't answer they called my manager and he accepted the fight for me i land in amsterdam and my coach comes to pick me up from amsterdam stefan birkenpass was his name my dutch kickboxing coach he goes First thing he does, he picks me up and he's like, oh, congratulations, Charles. And at this time, my phone wasn't working or nothing, so I didn't even know about the fight. He's <laughs> like, he's like, I'm like, congratulations on what, coach? Like, that I'm here in Holland with you? Like, yeah, this is going to be a fun trip. He's like, no, no, you didn't hear the news? And I'm like, no, my phone like, doesn't work here. It's another country. He's like, okay, okay, we're going to call on my phone. And he goes, uh, you're fighting in, in Stockholm, Sweden in four days. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, <laughs> Dennis Seaver, you're fighting him. And I'm like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. So we called my manager on his phone because my phone didn't work. My manager, and Charles McCarthy, who was my manager at the time, said, hey, yeah, man, we got you the fight. I, I signed it over for you. We just sent it in. And pretty much he just signed the contract for me because I didn't even like, you know, it had to be done immediately because it was on such short notice. So he just did it for me. And, uh, man, like. I was super excited and, uh, you know, get the biggest opportunity in my life to fight one of the best guys on the planet. Like, it was everything I dreamed of. It was my dream come true. And then I just thought about how much weight I had to lose. I had to lose 33 pounds in four days in another Jeez. country. So, like, the first thing I did is went and weighed myself on a scale, and it's like 80 kilograms. And I'm like, how much is 80 fucking kilograms? You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to figure out. The trend, like right away I was super frustrated like alright we gotta get to work and I'm like I need two gallons of water and they're like what's a gallon I'm like you mean a liter and I'm like no I need like 20 liters I'm like you know so I needed to start doing all this stuff to cut weight and it was definitely frustrating and diff much more difficult doing it in another country but um, I was able to make the weight and you know thank god I did because you know I went to Stockholm Sweden fought my ass off and I got fight of the night and um, if you don't make the weight for fight of the night fight which is an additional $50,000 bonus then they don't pay you if you don't make weight on the scale. So um, I was happy that, you know, I was disciplined enough to make the weight, pull off one of the best fights of, you know, of the year and, uh, you know, get the additional bonus. So it, it was a big, it was, it was a big fight for me. That's awesome. How, uh, how brutal, I guess, was that weight cut? What were the, some of the things they had to do to, 
to cut that much weight in uh, uh, four yeah. days. I mean, I almost died doing it, you know. I remember, like, I was cutting so much weight, I was literally, like, hallucinating, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I remember Max, I sat next to Max Holloway, um, you know, who, who was on the bus with me. And I remember being like in this Hawaiian accent. He's like, "Yo, bro, you okay?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, no, I think I'm not okay." And he's like, "Oh, it's okay, bro. I've been there before. You're gonna, you're gonna make it." Like he was pushing me, he was motivating me. So it kind of felt pretty cool to see like, you know, a veteran fighter that was already in there, kind of just like, you know, giving me a little respect. So that felt nice, and I think it gave me a little bit of an extra push to be able to push through and make the weight. And uh, you know, I was able to make the weight, and I was able to get the weigh-ins and weigh in and. Um, you know, once I started rehydrating, I felt much better and, you know, I made it to the fight and, you know, fought my ass off. It it was a great fight. Yeah. Something that a lot of people find odd or funny about MMA fights is when fighters seem to be almost like best friends at the end of the fight after, you know, beating the crap out of each other for 15 minutes, you know, they're hugging it out, all that, and their faces are covered in blood. And (laughs) why, why do you think that is? It comes down to like really one word and it's just that respect, you know, that's like the biggest thing. Like when you, there's, there's no way to earn somebody's respect better than, you know, going three rounds, three, five minute rounds in a cage with someone. So, you know, you both had to go through the same thing. You probably both had to go through 10 weeks of the hardest training in your life, at least six to eight weeks of the hardest dieting in your life, you know, at least a couple of days of cutting weight and feeling the most miserable you'll ever feel in your life. And then having to get in the cage and being probably the scaredest you'll ever be in your life and having to look across at the other guy. So you go through all these emotions and you it's a mutual respect. Like you know that you're both going through them, but then it's like you get in there and you got to you gotta earn the other guy's respect because I don't respect the guy right away. You know, I don't respect him one bit. I'm, I'm trying to take his head off. I'm trying to kill him. But once he cracks me a couple times and I feel his heart, I hit him as hard as I can. You know, I hit him as hard as I can about 20 times and he's still standing. I'm like, man, this guy... I like this guy, you know, like it's like this <laughs> yeah. type of guy that, that I want to be like, and you can, you can learn, you can learn a little bit from your opponents. And, uh, I've always learned a little bit from my opponents, you know, and, you know, I'm friends with most of them after I fight them cause they earn my respect and, um, you know, they give me the respect back and it's, it's, it's usually a good thing. So, yeah. And you're, uh, you know, you're, you're a generally nice guy. So do you imagine reasons kind of like why you want to hate this guy, why you want to beat him up before you, yeah. Yeah, like my last fight, like Manny Bermudez, I fought, um, he was trying to be like really, like I didn't know him, I never met him before, but I remember like the first thing when I, first time I saw him, like he tried to come say hi to me and talk to me and like I'm a nice guy and I'm not ever a person that would ever like shoot somebody away, but like in my head, like I'm going to war with this person, like I'm fighting him and it's like to the death, like I don't think, oh we're just going to go in there and like play a basketball game against each other, we can be cool, like a fight is a little bit different. Like it's, it's real, you know, like you're, I'm trying to kill the guy literally like is trying yeah. to do everything I can. And that's what I have to do. So I have to bring myself in a certain state of mind or I even like make stuff up like in my head, like all oh, this guy's tip took my money. I got to get it back. Like just crazy <laughs> stuff that whatever I have to do to get myself there mentally and make myself, you know, there. So, because the thing is, is one second of hesitation can cost you a fight. Like if you think, Oh, maybe I won't hit this guy or hurt him. Like, I don't want to, you know, do something like you have to be there. You have to, it's like, there's a saying like Nate, Nick Diaz say, it's like kill or be killed. Like if you're not going to be in there to kill the guy, like then you're going to be the one that's going to get killed. So that has to be your mentality. And that's at least that is for me, my mentality going to the fights, like I'm going in there. And then, you know, if the guy, if, if the guy survives the fight, then, you know, he gets my respect. Yeah. 
So your UFC, your UFC career uh, seemed to be going pretty well, um, and then kind of everything stopped when you sustained a neck injury uh, yeah. a few years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, about two and yeah, two and a, almost yeah, two and a half years ago, about I was you know I was doing really well in the UFC. I had three, four bonuses at the time, like you know climbing up. I was just right outside the top top ten in the world. Um, you know I was you know, fought some of the best guys in the world, you know, um, and basically I was scheduled to fight Danny Eagy in Boston. It was going to be my third time fighting in the Boston Garden. I was undefeated in the Boston Garden. I won my first two fights in the UFC in the Boston Garden, so I was, you know, every fight is the biggest fight of my life, but, like, it's something special about fighting in Boston, you know, and uh, so during the training camp, my neck was bothering me, like, so bad that, like, I just, some days I couldn't even go train. It was like, oh, I got to ice my neck today. I got to rest it. And then I started noticing, like, when I try to do push-ups, I couldn't do as many push-ups. Like, I was like, man, I used to be able to rip out, like, 50 or 100 push-ups. I can only do, like, 5 or 10 now. Like, what's wrong with me? Maybe I'm just tired and overtrained and, like, my neck, my neck hurts, too. So this is a, a problem I've dealt with all my UFC fights. Um I always would have to take like a week off of training and training camps and stuff like that because of my neck. Like it would always be bothering me, but I would always be able to work through it and get to the fight and fight the whole fight. And it never really didn't seem like it affected my strength too much. But this was the first time in my life that I really felt like it was affecting my strength. So I was just noticing like my sparring sessions weren't going well, everything wasn't going well, but nothing was going to stop me from fighting in front of my home crowd. So, um, yeah, I just it wasn't like a sudden thing. It was just a progression. So I was like, my neck was hurting, and I kept training on it, training on it. So one day it hurt so bad, I got like such a bad stinger in the gym just from sparring. I like, I went, I'm like, I'm just gonna see the doctor to see what's wrong. Like, my coach kind of made me go in and do it. He's like, hey, just just see what's wrong, so you know at least when you go fight, like you know what's wrong with you, you know. And uh, you know, my coach at the time, Mike Brown, he also, you know, he had neck injury and he had neck surgery and came back from, you know, it and. Uh, so he, he was kind of adamant that I just get it checked out. And when I went and get it checked out, the doctor told me that it was really bad. Like, he's like, yeah, you can't fight. You know, he called the UFC immediately, told him I wasn't fighting, broke my heart. I was so mad at him. I was like, no, no, I want to fight. Like, is it, you know, but it wasn't really up to me. The doctor pulled me from the fight. I uh, basically went to the doctor and they, I said, you know, well, what do I do? Like, is can, how long is it going to be till I'm better? And he's like, well, you're not going to get better. Like, you're, you're, you know, at this point, I could couldn't even do one push up. I was so weak. Like, my arms were so weak. And my, um, I remember at the time, my girlfriend uh, Taylor, she, I was just messing around. I'm like, hey, well, uh, let's do an arm wrestling match. And I did an arm wrestling match, and she beat me. And then my little brother beat me. And then my other little brother beat me. And I was like, man. If my girlfriend and my little brothers can beat me in an arm wrestling match, like there's something wrong with me, really bad. You know that's not normal. Like my my weak, I had full weakness in my arms, and so, and plus a ton of pain in my neck. So basically, we went and I saw a couple, you know, best doctors in the world. Luckily, the UFC has access to like the best, some of the best surgeons and doctors. So went and saw them, and they told me, uh, yeah, like you, you basically you need you need neck surgery. And I was like, dude, what the hell? What does that mean? And he's like, well, it probably means the end of your career. Like, you probably won't be able to fight again. And I was like, he's like, it's very improbable that you'll ever fight again. And I said, if you get if you get the surgery. And I said, well, what does improbable mean? Are you telling me it's improbable or are you telling me it's impossible? And he's like, I'm telling you it's improbable. It's like a less than a 1% chance or a 1% chance. 
and I said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm, and I remember my mom and my dad were in the room too, so like I remember the look on their faces, like they were devastated, and they could tell I was devastated. But I said, well, the one thing you don't know about me and any type of any UFC fighter, even in general, is that we're the one percenters. You know, out of every hundred fighters, not even one of them makes the UFC, and everything that I've been through and the odds that I've battled through. So I said, no, like if you're telling me there's a chance and I can do this, and I can come out and be able to fight again, then I want to do it. And he said, okay, well, I'm not discouraging you from chasing your dream, but I'm just telling you the, the percentages and the odds. Like, that's what my job as a doctor. Like, he wasn't being, like, an asshole or nothing. He was just telling me, like, what he what he thought, you know? And uh, yep. so, you know, I took took the chance. Uh, I went through one I went through one operation, waited nine months, thinking that I was going to be better every month that they were going to clear me, like, after a couple months, and didn't get better. Nine months later... Went back to the doctor and he said, you know, oh, it didn't heal right. Um, I said, well, if I get another surgery, and he said the same thing. It's just a 1% chance. It's not going to – nothing's changed. If you want to get another surgery, we can do it. This, I went to a different guy and he told me that he's he's one of the – pretty much the best doctor in the world, basically. I, I demanded the best doctor on the planet Earth, and I got him. Um, this guy, you know, Dr. Hans Joe Kim, and he took me in and uh, – I was able to get the operation done, and I uh, came back, and then uh, eight months after that is when I got to fight again. So basically, long story short, like I just didn't give up, and I went to physical therapy every single day. Like I remember going to physical therapy. I went to this place, the Florida Back Institute, and like I knew that the insurance covered everything, so they said you can come as much as you want. Like. You know, we recommend you come, you know, once, like, like, well, Charles, do you want to come two times a week or three times a week? And I was like, no, I want to come every day. I want to come twice a day. And they're like, well, we don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I said, well, what do you mean? Like, are you not going to cover it? The insurance won't cover it? Like, no, the insurance is fully covered. You can come as many times a day as you want. It's just like, we never did that before with anybody. And I said, well, like, I'm not everybody. I'm a professional athlete. Like, I need this is my life. Like I don't have a job. Like I don't do anything else. Like I need to do everything I can possibly do to come back. And I went for nine months every single day, almost twice a day, except on Sundays and Saturdays to this physical therapy place with old people. Just, I could tell in the beginning, they thought I was crazy. Like they're like, this kid's like <laughs> going after <laughs> something that's not very realistic. Like for him to come back from a surgery like that and fight is very unrealistic. Like I could tell, like they even said it. I could even hear him talking about it sometimes. Like, and just didn't stop me. I mean, I went from doing one push up. Remember the first day I came in, I barely did one push up and like, okay, that's good. You can do one push up. You couldn't do any before the surgery, so that's a start. So then the next week doing five push ups to a month after that doing 10 push ups. So then going back to doing eight push ups and being like, wait, what's wrong? Am I going down? But just keep pushing. And then by the end of it, you know, within six months, I'm ripping out 20, 25 push ups. And uh, I knew my strength was back, but I had a lot of a lot of work to do because I had a lot of muscle atrophy. So it was just tons of work, 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 physical therapy, and more work. In days that I thought I was gonna, you know, never be able to fight again, and days that I wanted to like quit, but, but I just didn't. I said I'm not gonna. I I'm gonna do everything I can possibly do to get through this. And at least if I do everything I can possibly do to do it, and I don't come back, at least I can look myself in the mirror and knowing that I tried to do everything I could. So I was like perfectly okay with that like if it didn't work out i was okay with it because as long as i did everything and tried the hardest i could to do it and it didn't work i'm okay with that but what i was not okay with is just giving up so that's what i did i just didn't give up came back and after nine months of my second 
operation, I was able to um, get cleared by the doctor, which was like probably the best feeling in my life. He said, yeah, you're cleared to go. You're good to go. And I was like, I can fight. And he's like, if you want to, yeah. He's <laughs> like, you're good to go. And I was like, all right. So obviously there was a little bit of time that I had to, you know, test it. I couldn't just take a fight. Like I went and sparred. I went to different places. I went to Thailand and, you know, it took some, you know, did some matches that really nobody really knew about, you know, sparred some good guy, you know, Thailand and um, stuff like that and just tested it out. And, um, you know, thank God I was able to come back and make a full recovery and uh man like it, it was just so much work like that nobody really like will know you know what i mean like there's so many times like people think it look at me like I'm, i felt like every time someone asked me i was lying to them like oh when are you gonna fight again i'm like oh i'm fighting in two months but like that happened for two years i told someone that every single time i saw him when are you fighting i saw him fighting two months because that's what i believed that's what i thought so i just never gave up on what i believed and what i thought and i worked as hard as i possibly could and did everything i could possibly do to come back and you know, thank God I was able to get that opportunity, and I got that opportunity on January 18th this year. I um, I meant no, it was October 18th. I'm sorry uh, that I was able to make my comeback in the in the Boston Garden. I came back, and uh, you know, I got to, I got a big fight in my hometown, my third fight in Boston. I broke the record for most wins in the Boston Garden, past Conor McGregor, and uh, man, it was it was ever it was pretty much like everything that I dreamed of is pretty much better than any dream I've ever had was winning that day. So. It was good. Yeah, I bet that felt good. I was, uh, I was there. Yeah, yeah, I was there. The whole crowd and the whole stadium erupted. It was, it was an yeah. awesome moment, man. It was a special moment. It was even more special for me because of everything that I went through to get to that point. You know, so. Yeah, what was the the injury? Was it was it a hernia? Is that what they they called yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, my neck and herniated disc, and they just had to fix it. And they said. Uh, it won't get better on its own. It's just going to be like, it's like any injury, you know, if it's like, they don't fix it, then it's just going to be fucked up and you won't be able to fight if you don't. Basically, they told me this, like, you won't be able to fight. We can't clear you to fight unless you get the surgery. But if you get the surgery, there's only a 1% chance that you'll actually fight again. And I'm like, huh. so you can tell me I can just retire right now or I can get a surgery and take this minimal improbable chance is what he, the word he used, improbable chance that I'll ever fight again. I said, well, I'm taking improbable over giving up. Like, that's what I my whole life has been based on is being, you know, improbabilities, not, you know, and uh, against the odds. And that's what I did. And I was able to come back. I knew that if I was able to make it to the UFC coming from what I came from, like losing my brothers, you know, going through all the stuff that I went through, I knew that if I was able to get through that, that, like, this is just another, another part of the story. So um, that's where I'm at now. You know, I'm coming off the biggest win of my entire career a first round finish over a top guy in the world. And, uh, you know, my strength is better than it's ever been. I'm stronger than I've ever been. Like if you even look at pictures, like most people don't know this and I'm not like making excuses, but I fought all my UFC fights injured. Like I fought with severe muscle atrophy in my upper body. Um, cause I had the herniated disc my entire UFC career, but I fixed that now. I'm stronger than I've ever been. Like I can see when I lift weights, I'm strong. Like you can look at me, you can tell the difference. Like, and man, it's super exciting because if I was able to do as well as I did and, you know, beat some top guys injured now that I'm healthy, you've already seen like my first fight, I was able to beat a top guy in the first round. Like that was the most impressive victory in my entire life. And, uh, um, you know, I, I really can't wait for the next one. Yeah. So did the, did the, uh, did the thought ever creep into your head that maybe you should hang up the gloves? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like every day, every day I would wake up 
and they would be like, I'd have to go to the physical therapy place, and they would tell me, like, every day they would be like, wait, you're a fighter? You're going to fight again? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, who who said you're going to fight again? And I'm like, my doctor said I could fight again. And she's like, oh, who's your doc? You know what I mean? Like, and it was just every day it was like, like, I could just tell, like, I, like, I'm good at reading people. They just, nobody believed it. Like, but then I could see them starting to believe. Like, they saw my mentality, like, how it would show up every day. And they're like, well, if anybody could do it, Charles, it'll be you for sure. You know, like, that's what they would <laughs> say to me. So that would start giving me some motivation. And then, like, from being able to do, like, five push-ups to ten push-ups, like, I could see progress. So it wasn't like there was no progress. Um, but there were just so many things and, like, so many things that would scare me. Like, all of a sudden, like, maybe one day my neck hurt. I'm like, oh, why is my neck hurt? Like, I'd be freaking out. And... I'm saying, is this all worth it? And then I'd feel, you know, feel certain symptoms and I would go every day and I wasn't, I wasn't working at the time for those almost two years. I didn't work or make any money for, I'd say 18 months of not training because I didn't want to miss one day of physical therapy to go to work, you know? So like my whole focus was getting back. So, um, that was tough too, is not making money for two years. You know, I didn't make a dollar in two years, basically, you know, like I had to live off of, luckily I got a couple of performance bonuses from my other fights from fighting my ass off but um so i had a little bit of money to save but just it's 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 a it's a tough it's a tough thing but um yeah like what you asked if you if i thought about giving up i mean it would cross my mind but it was never something that i would ever do because that's not how i'm made that's not how i was built that's not how i was raised uh by my dad you know i was raised to never give up and stuff like that so i think a lot of these things that he instilled in me as a kid like and stuff like that my dad um I think it helped me a lot to get to where I'm at now. And uh, I'm just, just grateful that I have like the people and everything. And, you know, it wasn't just me that got better on my own, but it was a team of people and the support, like, you know, talking to my family every day, you know, even talking to people like you or talking to my cousins or talking to people that would motivate me. It was just, you know, it would help like just have people to talk to. So to bounce like things off of them, but it was, it was definitely a tough, it was a tough two years, but I mean, uh, you know, it, it's finally paying off now. Yeah. Rosa Nation, that Rosa mentality, never give up. You're, you already know, man. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say are the most important aspects or factors that have kept you driven to, you know, to chase that world title? Is it the thought of being world champion, constant desire to keep improving, just, you know, your love of MMA? MMA uh, what do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, that's my goal. That's why I got into this. I didn't get into this to make, you know, a living and make money. I'm uh, I mean, obviously, that's my goal. Like, it's one of my goals now because I realized I could make money. But when I started, I did it because I loved it. You know, I did it because I truly loved it and I wanted to be the best. And that's why, you know, going back to where we started about being competitive, like, I want to be the best. That's part of the competitiveness in me. So I, I didn't get into this, you know, to for the money because the money was nothing in the beginning. I mean, it's went up a lot since I started, luckily for me. But I mean, that's not why I got into it. And it's just because I love it and I, I want to be a champion. I don't fight just to be, you know, a UFC fighter or just to be in the video game or just to be, you know, signing autographs. I fight because I want to be the best fighter in the world and I want to be a champion. And if there's ever a moment that I don't think that I have what it takes to be a champion, that's when I plan on, you know, not fighting anymore. You know, it's like if I think that I don't have the skills to become a UFC champion, then at least I won't fight in the UFC anymore. You know, I mean, maybe I'll fight in a different promotion just for fun myself but you know kind of um but my my ultimate goal is to be the ufc champion and that's what i push for every day and if i don't think i can do that then i'm going to do something else but 
right now. Um, I'm very confident that I got what it takes to, to get there. I train with UFC champions. I mean, I trained with Dustin Poirier just yesterday in jiu-jitsu. I'm training with, you know, Colby Covington, who is UFC champion. I train with guys that are UFC champions, and I know that I got what it takes to be a champion. So it's also something that kind of helps me a little bit push through it. And uh, training with the best guys in the world it just lets me know that where I'm at. And uh, I know where I'm at, and I know what I'm capable of. So I'm going to keep pushing to get it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I guess finally, what advice would you give to anyone listening who maybe feel that they're at rock bottom or in the doldrums and just, you know, can't seem to dig their way out? I mean, I just say, I mean, I always say like my motto is dream big, never give up. Like if, if I could do it, there's no doubt in my mind that anybody else could do it. Cause I've been in like the lowest and the lowest of lows. Like when I moved, you know, to, to Florida, like pretty much had nothing, you know, I was losing everything. I had nothing. I didn't, I only thing I was able to afford was bicycle. I was able to buy myself a bicycle to get around and to drive around. Like, but I'll tell you for sure that no matter how low you get, like if there's something you really want, you can, you can work for it. You can get it because if I did it, then anybody else can do it. It's just, it's just something that you have to, you have to put all your time and effort into and it might not show off right away. It might not be, the first day, oh, well, I went to the gym today. I worked really hard. Like, how come I'm still fat? Or how come, well, no, it takes, it takes months. It takes sometimes years. Like, I didn't make a dollar from fighting for four or five years. You know, I had to work a full-time job as a chef for five years, grinding every single day at the gym and then working all day long, you know, and going home and just having to eat, like, eggs and white bread. It's the only thing I could afford. And, you know, like, my dessert would be, like, orange juice. Like, that's, like, the best thing I could afford. Like, so... It was three or four years of this. So, like, when I hear, like, oh, someone had a bad day or they had this, like, yeah, it happens to me still too now, but to me now still these days. But it's it's just about pushing through. Like, every day you have a bad day, it doesn't matter. You go and you punch the ticket. Like, it doesn't matter if it's rain and snow and you go and you punch the ticket. And then eventually all those days that you showed up and you, you put in the work, it'll pay off. And it might not pay off immediately, but it might pay off five years later. It might pay off ten years later. But, uh it's just, you know, not giving up and believing and, and pushing through it all. And that's pretty much what I've been able to do. And, um, you know, I'm just, just grateful where I'm at and the people in my life. But yeah, like you said, just, just, I, I just think just not, just not giving up and don't let yourself get that down. Yeah. I'm glad you, you brought that up too. It just, uh, you know, it takes time. I feel like a lot of people these days, they want that sort of instant gratification, instant reward. But yeah. if you, uh, you know, if you really want that, you know, lose all that weight or yeah um, yeah like well that's one thing i learned from from martial arts and fighting is like like if you really devote all your time like say you want to be an astronaut or you want to be a doctor or whatever you want to be like it seems impossible like if you just to say right now okay i want to be a doctor well yeah like i have to go to eight years of school i have to do this i have to do all these tests like this i have to get money i have to get the loans but if you spent every second that you're awake because obviously you have to sleep sometimes but the least and honestly possible. The second you open your eyes, the second you close them at, at night, studying, doing what you are trying to do. Say you're trying to be a doctor. Or for me, I was trying to be a fighter. Like I woke up, my eyes woke up. First thing I would do is look at my phone. I start looking at jujitsu videos. Second thing I would do is wake up, put my shoes on. I'd start running. I'd start shadow boxing, copying the videos that I just watched. And then the next thing I would do is ride my bike to jujitsu class, train jujitsu because there's only two classes a day. So I do a Muay Thai class and jujitsu class. And then, well, I had to work, so I'd ride my bike to work. But the whole time I'm riding my bike to work, I'm, I'm thinking about fighting. I'm thinking about, you know, uh, shadow boxing. I'm, you know, when I'm 
when I'm on my, my, my break or whatever for work, I'm outside just like, you know, shadow boxing or just thinking about fighting or thinking whenever I see someone, it's always, it's, I'm obsessed with it, you know, and that's how you have to be. And, um, you know, I think it's definitely different for some people. Some people, it's easy for them to be obsessed with things and to work hard and stuff like that. But, um, if you really want something and you're willing to, if you really want something and you spend every second of your day doing it, I think you're truly really capable of doing anything. That's really what I believe, but it's uh, just if you're willing to do that. So that's just my mentality on it, and it's what worked for me, but I know everybody's different, so I don't know, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's well said. I think that's also uh, you know, a good place to end. Uh, you know, Charles, thanks again for coming on the show. No, no, thanks, Chase. You're the man, dude. Appreciate it having yeah. me on. Where uh, where can people follow you on social media if they want to just keep up with kind of what you're doing and your next fight yeah. and all that? Yeah, pretty much uh, daily. I'll post stuff on uh, Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram uh, at Charles Rosa MMA and also on Twitter. Um, so you guys can see like my latest updates of who I'm fighting and stuff like that. So those are both really good ways to follow me. And um, definitely, you know, guys, check out Chucky's fight. Make a donation if you want to help, you know, knock out substance abuse. Um, I'm sure everybody know somebody that struggles with it or aunt or uncle or family member or something and uh yeah you know i just i think um you know i think i think it's all good stuff awesome and uh those of you listening you can also follow me on instagram at uh chase rosa four for updates on new episode new episodes and um what i'm doing uh training wise for for the endurance events that i'm doing um charles oh, nice. you- what do you have uh like you have a, you have a um a event coming up right you said yeah, so next event in March will be a Spartan Beast. Um, that's half marathon, 30 obstacles in California. What? And then, half marathon is like 13 miles? Yeah. Um, and then a big one in May, Spartan Ultra. Uh, that's 30, 30 miles, 60 obstacles what? on a mountain in California. <laughs> what? That's pretty impressive, man. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – yeah um it'll be hard but you know nothing nothing good comes easy so <laughs> uh, yeah so that's what i'm doing um yeah so oh, thank yeah, no for sure exactly that's a good way to put it nothing good comes easy yeah all right um for sure. thanks, thanks everyone thanks for having me on. yeah yeah thanks everyone for uh who's listening and uh see you next time